Welcome back. So it happened. They indicted Tom Girardi. I did not think they were actually going to indict him. I mean, I thought that they could, but I didn't think that they would. We have known since late 2020, early 2021, that this case was forwarded to federal prosecutors and investigators by Judge Durkin in Illinois. And then we saw two indictments come down, one in California, one in Illinois. And these are in addition to the CFO, former CFO, of Girardi Keys, who has already been indicted. So today we are breaking down the three indictments, the parties that have been indicted, and the question that is large on everyone's mind, isn't Tom Girardi in a conservatorship and how does that all work? Yes, that's what we're talking about today. It's a lot of indictments and it's been busy. We need to just get into it. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm Emily D. Baker, the internet's go-to legal analyst and big fan of the cursey words. I've been a licensed attorney for over 17 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I break down the legal side of pop culture and entertainment stories we can't stop talking about. We should just get into it. Let's go. Thank you to today's sponsor, Manscaped. Did you know that Manscaped is now selling more products for the hair up there? That's right. In addition to my favorite weed whacker, which you know how much I love, Manscaped also now has the Beard Hedger. That's right. Manscaped is upping the grooming game again with the Beard Hedger, and they have a Beard Hedger Pro Kit, which is something that Dr. B has absolutely loved, and I love it too, because his beard lays down smoothly using the comb and brush that is included in the kit, and I love the shampoo, conditioner, and beard oil. Not only does it smell yummy, but it feels really soft against the skin, both mine and his. And you can top all of that off with the beard balm. So if you love someone who's bearded, it is time to make sure that they have the Manscaped Beard Hedger. When you get the Beard Hedger Pro Kit, the brush, the comb, and the scissors all come as a bonus. So check it out for yourself using our discount code to support the show. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com using code LAWNARD. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com using code LAWNARD. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. All right, let's get back to today's episode. Y'all, I have questions about this, but also if you're like, Emily, aren't you in the middle of trial coverage on the Murdoch trial? Yes, and I am doing the roundups of that trial over on a separate feed on the QuickBits podcast and on the QuickBits YouTube channel. They are a separate feed from this podcast and the YouTube channel that this podcast lives on, so you can go find those weekly roundups on QuickBits. I am trying to keep them short. Last week's was a little long because I went through the entire timeline that's been presented in court so far as I put it together since the prosecutors haven't done it for us. And if you want to hear my frustration with that, you can just watch me stream that trial every day live. But during the Murdoch trial, which is kind of the other legal scandal that's staggering, even though all of the legal thefts aren't, aren't what he's on trial for at the moment, the Girardi case is now at over 18 counts against Tom Girardi, over $18 million in theft from clients alleged. But we're also in the bankruptcy upwards of like $400 million of loss. And now there's 
hundreds of lawsuits where the bankruptcy trustee is trying to claw back funds over the last seven years. The bankruptcy, when I started covering these at the end of 2020, in the very beginning of 2021, I said, this is going to take a substantial amount of time. And oh, how I had no idea how much there was. I didn't realize as they kept pulling the thread, how much was going to unravel. And really, I think this all came to light because of that Edelson PC lawsuit alleging that the divorce to Erica Girardi was a sham, that money was being loaned to her company. I don't even know if Edelson PC knew. And if you haven't watched my interview with Jay Edelson on the podcast, go back and check it out. I don't think they knew how big this was when they said that Girardi Keese had not paid their mutual clients in the Lion Air crash after they settled with Boeing. I don't think they realized how much this would spiral. That theft is the heart of the Illinois indictment. We also have two California indictments, one to the CFO and one to Tom Girardi and the CFO. In Illinois, Tom Girardi's son-in-law has also been indicted. So we're going to go through those two indictments today. This is one of the most staggering legal scandals because of the amount and the length of time. It seems, though, as we are getting deeper and deeper into the Murdoch trial, that that was also a decades-long theft from clients. And the Girardi scandal is beyond decades-long theft from clients. What we have heard from the state bar, and I cover that in other, other content, is that there were hundreds of complaints to the state bar, and this man kept his license. So there are big questions around what the California state bar was doing. And this year, when I redid my um, registration for the state bar, there was a whole bunch more questions on client trust accounts. And I was like, huh, state bar, you're just like, hey, maybe we should track this better. You think? And I'm in the happy position to say, ha ha, I don't have any attorney client trust accounts because I don't take clients like that. And boy, aren't I glad for it. There are plenty of attorneys that want to do that. I'm very happy doing what I am doing. But it was interesting to see the additional questions as I renewed my license for another year. It was, you know, as you give them hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars to do so, I just wonder a little bit. I wonder a little bit where that money is going. California State Bar, where is my where is my money going? Can we do more, please? Because um, lawyers shouldn't be stealing from their clients. This is like a basic fundamental 1L, like every law student ever would just be like, you told us in law school that if there were even pennies miscalculated, we would be immediately shamed, shunned, disbarred, and like yeeted out of polite society. And yet, Tom Girardi was allowed to do this for decades, for decades. And it was complained about and it was brought to their attention. And it just kept going. So if you're like, Emily, does it, this case sounds like it pisses you off? Yes, this case pisses me off. It continues to pisses me off. Tom Girardi stole from people at their most vulnerable. And the reason I say stole and not alleged to have stolen is not because I misspoke. It's because some of these have already been proven. The Lion Air clients has been proven. The Rigomas family has been proven. So these aren't just allegations. The criminal allegations are allegations that it was criminal behavior. But we know that this money was stolen as to some of the clients. 
with a certainty. And if you haven't listened to me covering Judge Durkin's scathing order with regard to the contempt of court proceedings, he says some of Girardi's behavior was unquestionably criminal. And I agree. And that's why we're covering the unquestionably criminal behavior of one Tom Girardi, former golden boy of the California plaintiff's bar. It's shocking. It's shocking stuff. So let's get in to the first of several indictments. What I should say is that this will be coming out on Wednesday. I'm recording it before Tom Girardi is arraigned on Monday. If there is an update, it will be in the show notes. I don't know if I'll have time to record an addendum to the episode because of trial coverage, but when there is an updated date, that will be in the show notes below this episode. So let's go to indictment number one. Coming out of the Central District of California that covers Los Angeles, United States of America versus Thomas Vincent Girardi and Christopher Kazu Kamen. So now we know Chris Kamen's middle name is K-A-Z-U-O. Sure. Counts one through five violations of 18 U.S.C. 1343. Non-lawyers in the crowd, at some point, you're also going to recognize 1343 and be like, Emily, that's wire fraud. Yes, it is. It goes on to say, at all times relevant to this indictment, Tom Vincent Girardi was a resident of Pasadena, California. Defendant Girardi was an attorney licensed to practice law in the state of California. Defendant Girardi was the 100% owner and managing partner of Girardi Keese, a law firm located in Los Angeles, California, that primarily represented plaintiffs in personal injury cases. You know, people who've been catastrophically hurt by things that weren't their fault. On or about December 18th, 2020, after a series of civil lawsuits publicly alleged that Girardi Keese had misappropriated client funds, CEG, Edelson PC, Certain creditors of Girardi Keys commenced an involuntary petition for relief under Chapter 7, Title 11 of the United States Code Bankruptcy against Girardi Keys. On or about January 13th, 2021, the bankruptcy court entered an order for relief under Chapter 7 and ordered the appointment of a Chapter 7 trustee. I can't believe we've been covering this for over two years at this point. It's wild to me. Defendant Girardi was a signatory on and exercised control over the following bank accounts, which were opened and maintained in Los Angeles. A Girardi Keese Attorney Client Trust Account, also called an Interest on Lawyers Trust Account, IOLTA account at Tory Pines Bank, bearing an account number ending in 5859. So we know that the Tory Pines Bank account was an IOLTA account. Those are supposed to be monitored. A Girardi Keese IOLTA account at Nano Bank, bearing an account number of 0567. Interesting to just juxtapose that in the Murdoch case, the CEO of Palmetto State Bank, who has had dealings with Alec Murdoch, has been indicted and at this point convicted. So will we see any looking into these banks and how the movement of money from these trust accounts was regulated or not? Defendant Girardi became a member of the state bar in California in 1965 and was obligated to comply with the California Rules of Professional Conduct. Yep. Defendant Girardi knew that the California Rules of Professional Conduct required him to, among other things, promptly notify a client of the receipt of any funds the client was entitled to receive and promptly pay or deliver to the client or such payees 
as designated by the client, any such funds that defendant Girardi and Girardi Keys held in trust for the client upon the client's request. Guess what didn't happen? <sighs> defendant Christopher Kamen, who I will probably call Chris Kamen or Kamen throughout this, just to say less words, was a resident of Palos Verdes and Encino, California. From in or about 2004 till in or about December 2020, defendant Kamen was the controller and chief financial officer of Girardi Keys, from which position he oversaw the law firm's financial affairs, supervised its accounting department, and was in charge of paying the firm's expenses. As Girardi Keys' CFO, defendant Kamen had a duty to maintain books and records that accurately reflected the firm's finances, including the disposition of monies held in its attorney-client trust accounts. Client one, and they don't name the clients here, but there are some contexts where we can see which clients they are. Some of these clients spoke to ABC Hulu in connection with The Hustler and The Housewife. And the LA Times has also talked about who they believe these clients to be. I agree with the LA Times' assessment of who they believe these clients to be. Client one was an individual who resided in San Bruno, California. Beginning on or about October 1st, 2010, defendant Girardi and Girardi Keese had a formal attorney-client relationship with the client. They agreed to represent the client in connection with a lawsuit against a public utility, the San Bruno gas line explosion, related to significant injuries clients sustained all over his body as a result of an explosion that caused severe burns. That is Joseph Rue Gomez. Client two is an individual who resided in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. Beginning in May 2019, defendant Girardi and Girardi Keese had a formal relationship Specifically, defendant Girardi agreed to represent client two in connection with potential litigation relating to a boat accident where the boat unexpectedly sped up to 120 miles per hour, flipped and ejected all three occupants. As a result, client two's husband died. That is Judy Salzberg, um, a client who also spoke in the Housewife and the Hustler documentary. So I'm not surprised that we're seeing kind of a, a breakdown of, of who these clients are. The theft from Judy Selberg is also documented in the California bar complaint that got Tom Girardi disbarred. But when we're looking at these, I mean, with especially with the Rigomez family, the injury to the Rigomez family is from 2010. That's 13. 13 years ago, as we sit here, you know, almost 13 years ago, as we sit here, that is a long time to have fought with a public utility company, received a judgment, discovered that your attorney didn't give you the judgment, find an attorney willing to sue your attorney. They sued Tom Girardi. Then the case settled with a judgment for them. Girardi paid once, and then they had to continue pursuing him until this bankruptcy came down. It's just some of the most appalling shit I have ever seen. It's just appalling. Client three was an individual who resided in Castaic, California. In 2012, began a relationship with Girardi and Girardi Keese, an attorney-client relationship. They agreed to pursue a lawsuit in connection with the medical device provider related to severe injuries, including organ damage that client three sustained as a result of a defective medical device. Client four and client five are individuals from Los Angeles, California. Beginning in 2019, Jordi uh, and Jordi Keys had an attorney-client relationship with them, agreed to represent them in connection with a lawsuit 
related to injuries to client four, five, and their minor child who are paralyzed from the neck down sustained in an automobile collision. Then they go through the scheme to defraud. Beginning at least as early as in or around 2010, we know from the bankruptcy, it's way before that, but they are tying this back to the Rigomez um, theft and going forward from there. They're not reaching all the way back. But in the press conference for this, we have seen the AUSA said that they think more charges may come. The IRS is also involved with this investigation. And what do I always tell you about cases? One, follow the money. And two, the IRS will always get theirs. Will always. So with a certainty, there will at some point be tax actions, whether those will be criminal evading tax actions or whether they will be civil recovery tax actions. We don't know yet. But we've seen the IRS and the California Franchise Tax Board file in the bankruptcy saying, by the way, you owe us cash. Will we also see criminal actions brought or added to these? It's absolutely possible. This, I think, again, as I keep saying, is the beginning of the criminal. We are at the tip of the criminal iceberg. We have gone down the civil road, the bankruptcy. We have gone down the now hundreds of internal cases within the bankruptcy. But we are just at the beginning of kind of another wave of cases, and that's the criminal cases. We are not even close to done. And I don't think these are all the indictments that are coming. I just don't. Uh, with all the fuckery that's happened in this case, there's no way there's not more. So continuing with that, um, beginning in 2010 and then going through at least December 2020 in Los Angeles. So they did the jurisdictional stuff. They said that Girardi and Cayman together and with others, known and unknown to the grand jury. So this did go to a grand jury and was indicted from a grand jury with intent to defraud, devise, participate in, and executed a scheme to defraud clients to whom defendant Girardi and Girardi Keese had agreed to provide legal services to, including but not limited to client one, two, three, four, and five. They then talk about the fraudulent scheme operating in substance in the following manner. And they lay it out. Defendant Girardi would negotiate a settlement on behalf of the client and would require payment of funds to the client. Girardi would misrepresent, conceal, and falsely describe to the client the true terms of the settlement agreement and or the disposition of the settlement proceeds. Defendants Girardi and Cayman would cause the settlement proceeds to be deposited in or transferred to an attorney trust account, including Tory Pines and Nano Bank. Defendant Girardi and Cayman would transfer, would thereafter embezzle or misappropriate settlement funds from Tory Pines or Nano Bank for improper purposes. The improper purposes include, among other things, paying other Girardi Keys clients whose own settlement funds previously had been misappropriated, paying Girardi Keys's payroll paying other Girardi Keys expenses, including its American Express card bills, accompanying charges for defendant Girardi and defendant Cayman personal expenses. Oh, so they're using client settlement funds to pay people who haven't been paid? That sounds like a Ponzi scheme. Yes, the money is moving in a Ponzi fashion. Yes, it is. Uh, yes, that's what's happening here. As part of their scheme to conceal the embezzlement and misappropriations from the victim's clients, defendants Girardi and Cayman would send and cause to be sent lulling communications to the clients that, among other things, falsely denied that the settlement proceeds had been paid and falsely claimed that Girardi Keys could not pay the settlement proceedings to clients until certain purported requirements had been met, such as addressing supposed tax obligations, 
obtaining supposedly necessary authorizations from judges and satisfying medical liens and other debts. So lying, lying to the clients. I can't pay you until this is done. I can't pay you till that is done. And we've seen those emails in other lawsuits, especially in the Illinois case. We've seen the text of those emails. As further part of their scheme to conceal the embezzlements and misappropriations from the victim clients, defendants Girardi and Cayman would also send and cause to be sent lulling payments to the client just a little bit so that you wouldn't get mad. Falsely representing and maintaining the false pretense that such payments were advances on the purportedly yet-to-be-received settlement proceeds or interest payments on the settlement proceeds that purportedly could not be paid to the clients until the fabricator requirements were satisfied. And then they go through each client. We're going to look at client one first. In or about January 2013, defendant Girardi negotiated a settlement of the lawsuit related to client one's injuries without obtaining prior approval of the settlement terms from client one. You can't do that either. The client gets to accept or reject a settlement. The attorney is not the one who decides to take a settlement. It's the client. For those of you that have never been in civil litigation, I hope you never have to be. But it is not the attorney who decides. The attorney can advise this is a good settlement and the client can say, yes, no, ask for more. Can we also do this? The client has to agree and sign off on the settlement. So the first thing that's wrong here is that the client is not agreeing to the settlement. The terms of the settlement provided that client one would be paid $53 million to release all of client one's claims. The Rigomez claims against Tom Girardi's estate are $11 million because the Rigomez family believed that their settlement was $12 million. They talk about this in news articles, they've talked about this in The Housewife and the Hustler and elsewhere. I wonder when they were told that this settlement was not a $12 million settlement, but a $53 million settlement. Pursuant to Client One's retainer agreement with Girardi Keys, Girardi Keys' attorney's fees in the amount of 25% of the settlement amount, costs and expenses were to be deducted from the settlement proceeds and paid to Girardi Keys. So they're going to take their 25%. This is the order they go in. The money comes in. The $53 million comes in. Then Girardi Keese will pay itself back its attorney's fees first. So they'll take the 25% off the top. Attorney's fees first. Then costs and expenses. Money comes in. They take, attorney, they take attorney's fees. Then costs and expenses. The rest of the settlement proceeds go to the client. Yes, I know. I agree with you. Emily, shouldn't they take costs first and then the attorney's fees? I think so, but that's not how that works. And I'm not a plaintiff's attorney and I'm not a member of the plaintiff's bar and I'm sure they can explain to me why I'm wrong about that. But yes, it seems that maybe costs should go first and then attorney's fees, but it doesn't. It says, on or about January 10th, 2013, defendant Girardi told client one that the case had settled. You don't tell a client it had settled. You tell a client that you've been offered a settlement and then ask them if they would like to settle. Defendant Girardi had not previously informed client of the settlement or obtained client's consent to the settlement. Girardi falsely represented to the client that the total settlement amount was $7.25 million and concealed from client the true amount of the settlement was $53 million. Girardi further falsely represented that the settlement would be structured as an annuity to be paid to client one for the rest of client one's life when, 
As defendant Girardi then knew, the settlement terms did not require the creation of an annuity or any other structured settlement, and defendant Girardi had not obtained the client's consent to so structure the settlement. Everyone who's watching the Murdoch trial knows well more about structured settlements and annuity than the average public, because law nerds are smart and you know a lot of things. Annuities can be structured at the client's discretion, or the settlement can require it. This is more common with minors, where um, a minor's been injured and they're structuring a settlement, but it allows for settlement payments to be paid out over, over a lifetime versus a lump sum, and then the client having to invest the money or structure the money or, or spend the money. This can also happen with other big lump sums of money like lottery winnings and things like that. But this is not something the attorney chooses. This is something the client chooses. Except in this case, it seems very clear that that's not what the client chose. And also an annuity was never created. Otherwise, the money wouldn't have been stolen. January 24th, 2013, over half of clients' settlement $28 million was wire transferred to the Tory Pines Iolda account. Defendant Girardi and Cayman were provided notice of the incoming wire the same day. Defendant Girardi and Cayman then misappropriated and embezzled a portion of Client One settlement funds and caused those funds to be used to pay other expenses and liabilities of Girardi Keys unrelated to Client One, including payments to other Girardi Keys clients whose own settlement funds had previously been misappropriated by defendants Girardi, Cayman, and others and others. Can we indict the others, please, instead of just putting and others in the indictment? Go get the others, all of them, in order to lull client one and prevent client one from discovering the defendants Girardi and Cayman had embezzled the funds. Defendants aiding and abetting each other committed and caused to be committed the following acts. Falsely informing client one that client one settlements should be, quote, should be tax-free and that delays in payment of the settlement funds were due to defendant Girardi's efforts to remove any tax liability for client one when, as Girardi knew, client settlements were not taxable. They are not taxable. They're settlement funds. But people don't know that. And if your attorney doesn't tell you that, how are you supposed to know that? Rage. <sighs> Falsely informed client one that the settlement funds had been transferred into a separate interest-bearing account when, in fact, no such transfer had been made. Falsely informing client one that the settlement funds were quote-unquote locked up for a six-month period due to their deposit into the separate interest-bearing account when it had not been done. This is someone who was substantially injured and needed surgeries and had medical bills. To lie to them that their funds are locked up while knowing that you've spent it is just a level of depravity that I, I can barely wrap my head around. It's still difficult to wrap my head around. How do you look at someone who trusts you and do this to them for over a decade? I, and they sought out the Rigomez family while they were still in the hospital. The predatory behavior is just some of the most horrendous shit that I have seen. And this is someone who was lauded in my profession as a shining example of someone who's fighting for the underdog. And it seems to me through all of this that Tom Girardi was fighting for himself. 
without giving any fucks about anyone else. Maybe, maybe he's what inspired the song, How Many Fucks Do I Give? Maybe it was really his behavior that inspired that particular ditty. <sighs> getting back to the indictment <clears throat> and rage, getting back to the indictment and rage. And if you haven't seen The Housewife and the Hustler and want to see the Rui Gomez family talk about this, uh, it's on Hulu. These are further communications that the indictment is alleging. Sending and causing to be sent letters to client one, falsely claiming that, quote, we worked magic so far in getting these huge interest rates and getting the first two years tax-free. Lies. Sending letters to client one, falsely attributing delays in the payment of settlement funds to client one to supposed court oversight of the distribution of settlement funds when, in fact, no such oversight was required or existed. Sending and causing to be sent on July 1st, 2019, a check for $2.5 million to Client 1, purportedly as a disbursement of the settlement funds, which funds were, as Defendant Girardi then knew, settlement proceeds belonging to Client 4 and 5, and not from Client 1's settlement proceeds, which Defendants Girardi and Cayman had already spent or caused to be spent through disbursements unrelated to Client 1. So from the time of the settlement in 23- January 2013, the client gets paid $2.5 million in 2019 out of a $53 million settlement. And then the client has to continue to fight to get the money that they've always been entitled to. Client two's funds, April 2020, Jordy negotiated a settlement of legal claims related to the death of client two's spouse. This is the boat accident. On June 24th, 2020, defendants received a check for $504,400 as payment of the claims. Pursuant to client two's retainer agreement, Girardi Keese's attorney's fees were 33.3% of the settlement and then costs and expenses. On or about June 25th, defendant Girardi caused client two's settlement funds to be deposited into the Tory Pines account. Part of the deposit and in violation of the California Rules of Professional Conduct, defendants writing came and transferred and caused the transfer of approximately 183,605.45 from the account to Girardi Keese's operating account as fees owed to Girardi from client to settlement. When defendants knew that the funds, in fact, came from settlement funds belonging to other Girardi clients, defendant used the transferred funds to pay Girardi Keese payroll expenses and fund a $50,000 check written on the operating account to defendant Girardi, which defendant Girardi then used to make payments to two expensive country clubs. We haven't heard the words lavish lifestyle yet in, in such short order, but um, that's where we're at. In order to lull client to, oh, by the way, the, um, the expensive and exclusive country clubs are also on the bankruptcy trustees list and they are seeking money back from like, the Bel Air Country Club, Brentwood Country Club, and the Jonathan Club, and a whole bunch of other clubs. They're all, they're all, they're all on the list of the bankruptcy trustee trying to claw back some of these funds. And this was also very well laid out by the state bar when the state bar finally audited the account and went through and was like, oh, weird, the money's just disappearing and it's not going to the client. Yep, weird. In order to lull, and they use the specific word lull because the behavior delays the discovery of the fraud, which can extend the statute of limitations. So that is why they're using that specific word to kind of extend this 
so that the discovery is not there. In order to lull client two and prevent them from discovering that Girardi had embezzled their settlement funds, Girardi and Cayman committed and caused to be committed the following acts. In response to client two's repeated efforts to obtain the funds, Girardi falsely told client two that he was working on, quote, last signature from judge and that the defendant would send client two a personal check for $50,000 and a, quote, advance on the settlement when defendant Girardi then knew there was no need for any signature from a judge before client two settlement proceeds could be dispersed and there was no need for a, quote, unquote, advance because Girardi Keys already had received the payment of the settlement funds. On July 24th, 2020, one month after receiving client two settlement check and after being informed that client two still had not received her settlement payment and was contemplating filing a complaint with the State Bar of California, defendant Girardi and Cayman sent and caused to be sent for the purpose of lulling a $50,000 check drawn on the Tory Pines account. In order to further lull client two and assure client two that they did not need to take any further steps to obtain full payment, defendants Girardi and Cayman caused $100,000 payment to be made to client two in the form of a check drawn on Nanobank, which is weird because all the client funds should just be in one IOLTA account. It shouldn't be spread across multiple. To further lull client two, Girardi told client two that an attorney that the client had hired to help the client obtain settlement funds, that Girardi was working to mitigate the taxes purportedly owed by client two on the settlement funds. And separately, that Girardi Keese had only received a portion of the settlement when Girardi then knew no taxes were owed and that the full settlement funds were received. So at this point, client two has a lawyer and Girardi's lying to the lawyer. To further lull client two, Girardi falsely claimed to have arranged for a check for the balance of the settlement to be available for pickup. In fact, the messenger sent to get the check arrived. Defendant Girardi caused the messenger to be told, falsely among other things, that defendant Girardi was not available and that client two's check was inaccessible because it was locked in the Girardi Keys accounting office. Client three, October 2018. Girardi negotiated a settlement on behalf of client three related to injuries caused by a defective medical device. Per the retainer, the attorney's fees amount was 40% of the settlement amount and then cost and expenses. Disbursement of client three settlement funds, which were approved by the bankruptcy trustee and bankruptcy court, which was obtained in March 2020. On or about May 22, 2020, defendants Girardi and Cayman received a wire for 128 1250 in the Tory Pines IOLTA account as settlement for payment on the client claims. Defendant Girardi and Cayman misappropriated and caused to be misappropriated the settlement fees, including by using amounts in excess of any money due to Girardi Keys to pay for leases on luxury cars. So they took the funds owed to the client to pay the car leases because by May 2020, the wheels were full and well coming off of Girardi Keys. In order to lull client three and prevent client three from discovering that the defendants had embezzled the settlement funds, defendant Girardi committed and caused to be committed the following, or caused to be committed the following. A letter to be sent to client three on or about July 31st, 2020, falsely stating, quote, we are trying desperately to get everything figured out. Since there is a bankruptcy trustee, we have to get an understanding of how much goes to the trustee and how much goes to you. I am not getting much of a response from the trustee. In truth, as defendant Girardi then knew, defendant Girardi and the bankruptcy trustee had already negotiated the apportionment of client three settlement funds, which the bankruptcy court had approved approximately four months earlier in or around March 2020. And to be clear, the bankruptcy there 
that's being discussed is the bankruptcy of the medical device, not the Girardi Keese bankruptcy. So when we're talking about the bankruptcy here, it is the bankruptcy trustee and the bankruptcy court that required to sign it off. But that court was related to this client, not the Girardi Keese bankruptcy court, as I am understanding this. So if there was any confusion there, hopefully that cleared it up. Falsely stating in a voice message to client three that the settlement funds could not be dispersed until, quote, certain orders were signed when, as Girardi then knew, no further court orders were necessary. And falsely stating that, quote, we'd like our money just like you'd like yours. Despite the fact that defendants Girardi and Cayman had already received and misappropriated all of client three's settlement proceeds. All. Embezzlement of client four and five's funds. In or about July 19th, uh, defendant Girardi negotiated a settlement of the lawsuit related to injuries sustained by client four and five and their minor child in an automobile accident. The terms of the settlement provided a total payment of $17.5 million, a portion of which was to be paid to the paralyzed minor child with the remaining funds due to client four and five. Pursuant to the client four and five retainer agreement with Girardi Keys, the attorney's fees in the amount of 25% of the settlement amount for the minor and 40% of the settlement amount for client form five, then costs and expenses was to be deducted. The settlement agreement specified that the minor's portion of the settlement proceeds will be placed in a trust and an annuity to be controlled and administered by a third party, neither of which could be accessed by defendants Girardi and Cayman. The remaining settlement funds were to be paid directly to Girardi Keys for the benefit of client four and five. And that's appropriate. When there is an actual trust and annuity with regard to a minor, it goes directly into there. It does not go through, it does not go through the attorney. It goes directly in to that trust and annuity. The attorney doesn't do it. So hopefully the monies for that injured child were actually safe, even though nothing else was. Honor, I, I just, I can't imagine the distress of these parents to go through something so horrific, to have such a life-altering accident, and then to have your attorney steal from you. Just over and over and over again throughout, not just covering this case, but all of these indictments, the amount of lives that were harmed and then the trust that was violated after they sought someone to help them for that harm, the person they trusted to make that right, it just, it's just appalling. How many times have I said that throughout this podcast? I don't know. There will be more. On or about June 17th, 2019, the first installment of the settlement payment, namely $4 million, was wire transferred to the NanoBank account. Prior to the deposit, in violation of the rules governing the management of funds and attorney-client trust accounts, Jordan came and transferred and caused to be transferred $1.45 million as an advance from client four and five settlement funds, which amount was deposited into the Girardi Keys operating accounts. When defendant Girardi and Cayman knew that the funds, in fact, came from a settlement belonging to other Girardi Keys clients, defendants used the transferred funds to pay Girardi Keys operating expenses unrelated to clients four and five. July 1st, 2019, defendants caused a $2.5 million check drawn on NanoBank and comprised in large part of client four and five's settlement to be issued to client one 
as a partial payment of client one settlement funds owed to client one, but which have been misappropriated by defendants Girardi and Cayman. And how shitty is that too for the Rui Gomez family? Because I'm sure they don't want any part of somebody else's stolen money, but their money was stolen and given to somebody else. It's just shit all the way around. I don't have other words for it. I'll, I'll think of some before the end of the episode. Don't worry. Don't worry. There will be other, other words. On or about August 2nd, 2019, a further payment of client four and five settlement, namely a check for $5.1 plus million dollars, was deposited into NanoBank in order to lull client four and five and prevent them from discovering the embezzlement of their settlement funds, the defendants committed the following. Providing incremental lulling payments to clients four and five, which comprised only a fraction of the amounts due to them, informing them that the remaining funds could only be paid after medical liens had been satisfied when Doherty knew all medical expenses related to them had already been paid, falsely informing the clients that disbursement of their settlement proceeds was delayed due to court proceedings related to their child when Doherty knew that payment of the settlement funds to them was not dependent on any court proceedings, falsely informing the clients that delays in payment of their settlement funds was due to defendant Girardi's purported efforts to remove any tax liability for them. Tax liability does not exist. Oh, oh, it gets better. Including Defendant Girardi's travel to Washington, D.C. to meet with government officials to remove tax liability for the settlement when Girardi knew that the settlement funds were not taxable. He told them he flew to D.C. to talk to people to make sure that their funds weren't taxed. Their funds aren't taxed. It's not taxable. It's not taxed. Falsely informing client four and five that their settlement funds could not be dispersed until additional court approvals were received when, as Girardi then knew, no further court orders were necessary. Between 2010 and December 2020, as a result of the scheme to defraud, defendants Girardi and Cayman obtained money and property belonging to clients one through five in excess of $15 million. The indictment then breaks out how they use the wires and goes through all the different wire transfers and lists out each wire transfer and where the wire transfers are going. It then talks about the forfeiture allegations, which is the, you know what I'm talking about. If you've heard me talk about any of these wire fraud cases, you know what I'm going to say next. The forfeiture allegations are the government takes your shit provision of these. So it is, they will find your stuff and take it if there's anything left, which we know from the bankruptcy as to at least Tom Girardi, there is not. With regard to Christopher Cayman, most of it's offshore, so they're going to have to try to get it in the Bahamas. We know that from the Cayman indictment. That's the end of indictment one, but that's not the end of the show. We need to thank our next sponsor. Thank you to our sponsor, Honey Love. What I really appreciate about Honey Love shapewear is that it's actually shapewear that fits your shape and isn't going to absolutely throttle you within an inch of not being able to breathe. It makes me feel smooth and cinched and supported without feeling uncomfortable, which is my biggest complaint with most shapewear, but not Honey Love. One of the things I love the most is the liftwear cami. It doesn't roll up when I sit down and it has adjustable straps as an option. So you can find the fit that's exactly right to support your shape so you can feel comfortable. Honey Love also has a wide variety of bras 
that go the distance to smooth out any back bulge because you know it's not comfortable. It's just not. So show yourself a little love this Valentine's season and check out Honey Love. Treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% at honeylove.com with code LAWNERD. Use code LAWNERD at honeylove.com and get 20% off. Cinched, snatched, and lifted. It's hot girl season thanks to Honey Love. Let's get back to today's episode. As we get to the second indictment that indicts Tom Girardi, Christopher Kamen, and David Lira, the son-in-law of Tom Girardi, for their involvement in the Lion Air crash funds. The thing that sticks out to me in this case and in the Murdoch case is that the amount of money they were legitimately making that was apparently not enough. And it staggers me. And I don't know what the solution to greed is. I really don't. But how is it not enough? And where is the Girardi money? We're looking at the bankruptcy the indicia of wealth is just not there. Where did it go? How did Tom Girardi end up so far behind the eight ball? Where was the money going? I know there were two private jets and there was Erica Girardi's glam and their lavish lifestyle, but this started way before Erica Girardi was involved in Tom Girardi's life. What was the beginning? What was the beginning that put Tom Girardi behind stealing? Because if there's anything that's clear about theft and fraud and embezzlement cases from all the cases that I have done, all the cases that I have seen, it's that it starts with a little bit. It doesn't start with multi, multi-million dollars of fraud. It starts with a little, and then it grows. And then people get emboldened as they don't get caught, and then it grows, and then it grows, and then it grows. But where is this money? Because it's not the bankruptcy estate. There were multiple liens on the Pasadena property. There, all the cars were leased. It looks like the planes were leased. There's not much left to sell. They weren't even paying the vet for the racehorses in Florida or whatever. Where did it go? And where is it now? And that's not just in this case. That's also in the Murdoch case. Where is it? And how? I mean, maybe it was. I don't know how much having, you know memberships to like five different country clubs and all the different dining clubs and paying millions to politicians and donating to your law school. Maybe that's where it all went. But it's staggering to me that when you're making millions and millions of dollars, you still can't live within your means. It's just, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be shocked. Are we at like absolute power corrupts? Absolutely. Is that where we've landed in this case? Maybe it is. All right. Let's get to the Illinois indictment. United States District Court, Northern District of Illinois, Eastern Division, United States versus the defendants, Girardi, Cayman, Lira. There's a lot more counts in this one. So just buckle up. We're not going to go through every single, everything, single of everything. We're going to summarize them a little bit. The special October 2022 grand jury charges at times material to this indictment, individuals and entity involved. Thomas Girardi was a lawyer who owned and operated the law firm Girardi Keese, was licensed to practice in California. David Lira was a lawyer. I don't think David Lira has been disbarred yet. Who worked at Girardi Keese? Lira was licensed to practice law in the state of California and admitted to the general bar of the United States District Court for the Northern District of Illinois. These were the Pro Hoc Vice admissions. You know Illinois is pissed about that. 
Defendant Christopher Kamen was an employee of GK, head of accounting and finance. GK lawyer A was a lawyer who worked at Girardi Keys. Lender A was a litigation financing firm. GK and Girardi owed Lender A approximately $8 million for amounts that Lender A loaned to GK, which Girardi had personally guaranteed. Who's GK lawyer A? Is that their lead informant? I want to know who GK lawyer A is. Girardi Keys' bank accounts. I hold a trust account in California. All funds received by lawyer or law firms for the benefit of a client, including settlement funds, must be deposited into a client trust account at a bank. Such funds can be deposited into a non-segregated trust account known as an IOLTA only if the deposited funds are nominal in amount or are to be held for a short period of time. Girardi and Lira were authorized signatories on an IOLTA account maintained by GK. Lira was identified as a partner of GK on that account. Cayman was authorized to initiate wire transfers from that account. When they talk about the non-segregated accounts, they mean you can have a group pool fund, but when you hear money's being pooled together and you're going, isn't that part of the massive problem with FTX? Yes. The funds should have been in their own IOLTA account when we're dealing with millions and millions of settlements. When you're dealing with smaller settlements, that if it's coming in for a couple of days and then a check's being cut to the client directly, that's okay on smaller amounts. But when we're dealing with these massive cases, they should have been going into their own accounts at their own time, zero in the account, then these amounts, then the accounting for them, and then either close the account or or zero it back out for another large payment. They shouldn't have all been going into a massive account where everybody's money was just all commingled. They talked about the bank accounts, the California Rules of Professional Conduct, which we've gone over in the last indictment. Jordi Keese's representation of victims of the Lion Air crash, the literal widows and orphans of the whole thing and an entire season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. On October 29th, 2018, Lion Air Flight 610 crashed in the Java Sea shortly after takeoff from Jakarta, Indonesia. All 189 people aboard the aircraft were killed. The aircraft was manufactured by Boeing. Victims A through E are relatives of the passengers who died in the crash. Girardi Lira, GK, Lawyer A, through Girardi Keys. So wouldn't Lawyer A be Griffin then? Keith Griffin? I mean, that's who, my guess. We'll see. Represented victims A through E and certain of their family members, including their minor children, collectively the client victims, in the lawsuit against Boeing. After filing the Lion Air cases, Lyra, GK, Lawyer A, participated in mediations on behalf of the client victims with counsel for Boeing. As a result of those mediations, Lyra and GK, Lawyer A, recommended to victims A through D that they and their family members agree to settle the cases with Boeing for an aggregated total of approximately $11 million. Victims A through D agreed. Because certain client victims were minors, these agreements required court approval. In or about February and March 2020, the court issued orders approving each of those settlement agreements. Each of those orders required Girardi Keys to distribute the settlement funds to victims A through D and their family members from the accounts as soon as practicable after receiving the funds. This was the grounds of the contempt proceedings. They held Girardi Keys and Girardi in contempt. And then the court did the hearings to see if there were other lawyers that needed to be held in contempt as well. Ultimately did not hold anyone else in contempt, but um, ripped into the behavior as beyond deplorable and had some very choice words. In or about April 2020, 
After an additional mediation involving victim E, Lira and GK Lawyer A recommended victim E settle his case with Boeing for approximately $1.5 million. This is separate from the other victims. Victim E agreed. After each of the settlement agreements were reached for the client victims, the court entered orders dismissing the actions. And then they set forth a chart of the victims, the date, the amount wired into the IOLDA account and the amount due to the victims and lists it out. Client A was owed 1.7 million. Client B was owed just a little over 2 million. Client C was owed 1.75 million. Client D, just a little over 2 million. And client E was owed just a little over a million. This is after fees. Those wire transfers were the net of Girardi Keese's attorney's fees, specifically under terms of the settlement agreements. The attorney's fees to which GK was entitled were separately wired by Boeing's counsel directly to lender A as partial payments towards Girardi's $8 million loan from lender A. This is one of the legal lenders that's involved in all of the other stuff that we've talked about. As a result, GK was not entitled to retain any attorney's fees from these settlements. Instead, except for attorney's fees owed to law firm A, Edelson PC, I'm guessing, any cost incurred by the GK group up to 1% of the amount and any advances that GK had made to the client victims, all funds that Boeing's counsel wired into the IOLDA were required to be distributed to the clients as indicated above. Beginning in or about 2019 and continuing until in or about December 2020, the Northern District of Illinois, Eastern Division and elsewhere uh, listed the defendants, herein known to others and to the grand jury, knowingly devised, intended to devise and participated in a scheme to defraud the client victims and obtain money and property by means of materially false and fraudulent pretenses, representations, promises, as further described below. And then they go through the scheme of the improper diversion of funds, including paying business and operating expenses, funding payroll, paying American Express card bills, funding settlements to other clients, et cetera. They go through the misappropriation of the fees and the misappropriation of the settlement fees, much in the way we saw in the last indictment. They talk about the false statements to conceal. Those were very well and thoroughly listed out in the RICO, civil RICO lawsuit brought by Edelson PC against the Girardi Keys attorneys, Erica Girardi, the legal lenders, and others. So my coverage on that kind of lists out some of the emails that went to the clients about this. On May 14th, 2020, the indictment says Girardi emailed a letter to victim B stating falsely, quote, we made an agreement with Boeing that all of the cases would be resolved. They gave us special authorization to distribute 50%. Lyra and GK Lawyer A received Girardi's letter before it was sent to victim B. Oh, so it is Griffin. I wonder if Griffin is going to be indicted or if Griffin is cooperating with the government and is going to continue being lawyer A and not indicted. But we know that Griffin and Lyra intercepted this email because it came up in the contempt hearing and in other litigation. So because I've been covering this for so long, we can then piece together all of the pieces that aren't otherwise in this indictment because it's, well, it's elsewhere in the record. Lyra and GK Lawyer A received Girardi's letter before it was sent to victim B and reviewed and approved the letter. Came and received the letter shortly after it was sent to victim B. Each of the defendants knew that there was no agreement with Boeing that prevented GK from distributing the funds. It's further part of the scheme that on May 14th, 2020, Girardi, and this is, the funds were received in March. So in May, Girardi emailed victim C stating, I got enough of the problem taken care of, so we're able to release 50% of the settlement. Girardi Keese already had all of the settlement. On May 19th, 2020, Girardi, with the knowledge of Cayman Lira and Lawyer A, sent a letter to victim D in which Girardi stated, quote, I think you are going to love me in 30 days. 
falsely implying and promising that GK and Girardi would distribute the balance of the settlement funds within 30 days, and further concealing that those funds were being misappropriated. It's further part of the scheme that on June 19th, we're now months after the distribution of, of funds to Girardi Keese from Boeing. On June 19th, 2020, Girardi sent letters to victims A and D, falsely stating, there are some serious issues. Yes, that he has stolen their money at this point. Okay. Quote, there are some serious issues. I have been back to the East Coast four times to get everything resolved. This is June 2020. There's no way he's been anywhere four times in June of 2020. No one was going anywhere much in June of 2020. March, no one was going anywhere. April, people weren't going anywhere. May, not very many people were going anywhere. June 19th, between the time the funds were distributed in March and June, there was no way he traveled anywhere four times during the middle of a global pandemic. It's just, there's not a chance. Not on his private jet, not at all. And at the same time, he's telling he's telling the attorneys at LSNBC that he's struggling with health problems. Just lies. I'm not done reading that email because I soliloquied in the middle. I've been back east four times to get everything resolved. I think I need two more weeks. I will insist that at least we get the interest in two weeks if I cannot resolve it. Also, where are you going back east? Boeing headquarters are in Washington. Like, where where are you going? And Chicago's not back east. (sighs) Cayman and lawyer A subsequently received a copy of the letter sent to victim D. And each of Girardi came in and Lawyer A knew there were no, quote, serious issues preventing Girardi Keys from distributing the settlement funds. Girardi had not been back east four times to get any such purported issues resolved. And the reason the settlement funds had not been distributed to the client victims was because those funds were being misappropriated. That is in the indictment. Emily, keep reading. Yeah, they said, they said what I said. I said what they said. Yep. It is further part of the scheme that the defendants fraudulently concealed from law firm A, I assume that to be Ebelson PC, and the court that Girardi sent letters to the victims A through D containing the false statements. It was further part of the scheme to defraud that on December 4th, 2020, Girardi left a voicemail message for lawyer A, uh, for a lawyer at law firm A, in which Girardi falsely stated, quote, I think we got clearance to send the money out today. And then it goes through the partial payments that were made and wired to some of the clients. Those partial payments are going to be part of the issue. They talk about more communications that happened and who they came from. They go through, that was count one. Count two, count three, count four, count five, count six, seven, and eight are all additional counts of wire fraud talking about uh, the money's going back and forth. Then counts nine, 10, 11, and 12 are four counts of criminal contempt of court because of the violation of the court order to distribute the funds. Then there's a forfeiture allegation. The forfeiture allegation is seeking the amount of over $3 million, $3,069,500. This is far less in cost um, in amount stolen. But between the two, 15 million from California and over 3 million from Illinois were over 18 million. And then we've got the five counts in California and the 12 counts in Illinois to bring us to 18 counts at this point. 
All these counts in the indictments are against all defendants in the indictments. So the California indictment, everything's against Girardi and Cayman. In the Illinois indictments, everything's against Girardi, Cayman, and Lira. Will the California State Bar disbar David Lira? I don't know. The California State Bar says that they don't comment on ongoing investigations. But what I do comment on is our next sponsor. Emily, it was either a terrible segue or a great segue, but either way, (laughs) a huge thank you to our sponsor. I think we can agree that everyone I'm talking about in today's episode stinks, but you don't have to. Yes, we reached that far to talk about today's sponsor, Lumi. Lumi is a whole body deodorant that is a first of its kind, and it's safe to use anywhere on your body because we know that we don't just get stinky under our armpits, but Lumi also has great shower products that help support you staying odor-free. And the Lumi is aluminum-free and baking soda-free, paraben-free, and pH-balanced, which means it's safe to use under the pits or below the belt. And I know what you're thinking. And yes, you can use it on your feet or on your teenager's feet. It comes in a variety of scents like tangerine, lavender, and coconut. I love the lavender scent. Tangerine is a close second for me. I kind of switch it out between fall and summer. Lumi has actually been clinically proven to reduce odor for up to 72 hours. And if you are ready to try that today, Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes and free shipping. I really enjoy the solid stick, but the cream tube deodorant is so easy to put anywhere. New customers get $5 off the Lumi starter pack with code LAWNARD at lumideodorant.com. That is over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code LAWNARD. Try something new and support the show. All right, let's get back to today's episode. I know this case has has me worked up. I am I am worked up over it, but I am glad there are finally indictments. We also finally have the indictment for Christopher Kamen's side fraud that we are going to go over quickly because that has been now unsealed. Looking quickly at the indictment against Christopher Kamen, and again, this says information. He has actually waived indictment. And with regard to Christopher Kamen, he was not indicted by grand jury. This was either going to need to go to preliminary hearing or grand jury, but he waived it. This is set for trial March 14th of 2023. So this federal trial might take place or the cases might get consolidated. I don't know. But the side fraud has a trial date in like five weeks. I don't know what's happening. When I read it, I was like, did somebody make a typo? Do they mean March 2024? No, they don't. It says March 2023. We'll see what happens with that. This is the side fraud for the CFO, Chris Kamen. We have not seen this indictment yet. We've only heard about the indictment through all of the variety of detention hearings. Christopher Kamen was yoinked by the U.S. government on his way back from the Bahamas to the U.S. He had recently bought a house there. I like to think it was right next to Sam Bankman-Fried. I don't know if it was or not, but I like to think that there's just a row 
of where all these people are offshoring money because I think that that's a funny visual. But he was coming back to Baltimore. He got picked up and indicted. He has remained in custody. I've read some of the transcripts from the detentions of where the money was going. There's clearly like a $100,000 Birkin floating around somewhere that's connected with all of this that we've all been talking about. So if you want to go hear more about the CFO's side bit of fraud and embezzlement from Girardi Keys, his cute little 10 mil side hustle, in addition to all of the other fraud, that content will be linked down below. Girardi Keys was a law firm located in Los Angeles, California, that primarily represented plaintiffs in personal injury cases. December 18th, 2020, after a series of civil lawsuits publicly alleged that Girardi Keys had misappropriated client funds, certain creditors of Girardi Keys commenced an involuntary petition for relief under Chapter 7, Title 11 of the Bankruptcy Code. And then the beginning starts off very much or continues very much like the other indictments. Defendant Cayman was the CFO. He had signatory authority on the accounts. They list out the Tory Pines and Nano Bank accounts that were listed in the other indictments. And then they say, IB owned and controlled a construction company. IB maintained and was a signatory on a Nikkei credit union account ending 3989 in the name of Company One. So there is another company involved that has not been indicted, that is either working with the feds or will be indicted. But this scheme has to do with fraudulent contractors more than it has to do with anything else. Fraudulent scheme. Beginning at least as early as 2015 and continuing through at least December 2020, when it all came crashing down in Los Angeles within the Central District of California and elsewhere, defendant came in together with others known and unknown to the United States attorney, knowingly with and with intent to defraud devised, participated in and executed a scheme to defraud Girardi Keese as to material matters and obtain money and property from Girardi Keys. This is the CFO stealing from the law firm. The CFO was also helping the law firm steal from the clients, but the CFO was also stealing from the law firm. Defendant came and recruited co-schemers, including IB, to pose as, quote, vendors who were providing goods and services to Girardi Keys, when really they were providing things like construction for his pal's Ferdy's house and Encino's house. Came and issued unauthorized checks to Girardi Keys operating accounts, including account 9821 account 0096 to co-schemers whom defendant Cayman directed to kick back portions of the checks in cash to defendant Cayman, including at times in structured amounts under $10,000 to evade bank reporting requirements and two third parties to directly pay for defendant Cayman's personal expenses, including luxury shopping, purchases, travel, and escort services. As for their part of the scheme and in order to conceal his embezzlements for Girardi Keys, defendant came and maintained the pretense of falsely representing to Girardi Keys that the payments for the fraudulent invoices to pay for personal expenses were proper business expenditures. I mean, this CFO was watching Tom Girardi taking like $700,000 directly out of client accounts and buying earrings with them. So I'm not shocked that he was like, what are you going to do? Like, what's Tom Girardi going to do? Even if he finds out his CFO is stealing from him, what is he going to do? Report it? Excuse me, FBI, my CFO is embezzling from my law firm, which is really cutting into the amount that I've embezzled from my clients. So he needs to stop embezzling me because I'm continuing to embezzle. How long was he embezzling from? Did the CFO put the law firm behind the eight ball or was he stealing because he knew that he couldn't be reported because he was also co-conspiring with Girardi to steal from the clients? 
so nobody can turn him in because it would unmask all of them as well. I mean, if you're going to steal, steal from crooks. There's not much they can do. They're not going to report you. They might deal with it in other ways, but they're not going to report you to law enforcement. As a further part of the scheme, and in order to conceal his embezzlements from Girardi, Keith's defendant came and maintained the pretense of falsely representing to Girardi that the payments were legit. I said that. For example, causing Girardi Keys to issue IRS Forms 1099 to the co-schemers to record the payments as leasehold expenses on the Girardi Keys general ledgers. Between in or about January 2015 and December 2020, through the scheme, Cayman and his co-schemers fraudulently obtained over $10 million in funds held in the custody and belonging to Girardi Keys. I mean, it's not helping Girardi Keys keep their head above water as an entity if the CFO was embezzling $10 million in five years. And, and this seems to be in addition to the $22 million that the bankruptcy trustee has alleged that this CFO used the business AMX for personal expenses for. So the, the my brain, the bankruptcy trustee has alleged that Christopher came and got over $22 million in personal expenses paid for by Girardi Keys through the payment of his business American Express card that he was charging non-business expenses on. So we're now at like $32 million because these two things I don't believe overlap. So this is in addition to that, is my understanding. They talk about the use of the wires and identify specific transfers of funds and then there's a forfeiture allegation, which again is the government saying, we will take your shit. Again, we've seen the IRS in court on these detention hearings. We have not seen an IRS action yet. I think that we will see IRS actions down the road. I don't think, you know, Erica Girardi of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills can breathe a sigh of relief yet because the IRS is closing in. They have to be. They've been at all of these hearings. They've been at the press releases. The IRS investigators have been heavily involved in this. And the IRS will what? Yep, get theirs. So with all of this, let's do a quick summary. We now have three indictments relating to Girardi Keys. The CFO is indicted in all of them. Tom Girardi is indicted in two and David Lira indicted in one. And the big question is, what about Tom Girardi's dementia? The AUSA addressed that at their press conference that was right during lunch, during I don't remember which day of trial it was last week, maybe Thursday, the days run together. But during the press conference and in releases since, what the AUSA has said is it is up to Tom Girardi really to establish that he is not competent to stand trial criminally. And we've seen that go both ways recently in criminal courts. We have seen some not competent to stand trial because of dementia. We have seen some competent to stand trial, even with dementia. So the level of scrutiny it will go under in a criminal court versus the level of scrutiny it will go under to be placed in a conservatorship is substantially different. And don't forget, when they were first trying to place Tom Girardi in a conservatorship, the state bar objected and said, there is no way that this man just now all of a sudden has dementia. The state bar called this into question and the court was like, you don't even go here, get out. So I expect at the beginning that competency issues will be raised and we will see lots of litigation 
over whether or not Tom Girardi is competent to stand trial criminally for these indictments. It is a much higher level of scrutiny for the criminal court to find you not competent based on um, capacity, based on something like dementia, than it is to place someone in a conservatorship. So the diving into what's going on with Tom Girardi mentally will be very interesting. I imagine one of the first witnesses the government is going to want to have a chit-chat with is Erica Girardi, and that if I'm Erica Girardi's lawyers, the first thing I am doing is making sure that if we are cooperating with the government, we are not also being prosecuted by the government. I think her attorneys will be very busy doing that. So we will see, I expect what we will see are competency hearings. If he is found competent, he will go forward. If he is found not competent, then we will have to see how the feds want to deal with that. Will they let him stay in the nursing home facility that he's in? Will they want him to stay in a locked state facility until he can stand trial? We don't know yet, but we will see. There are still lots of questions around Tom Girardi's competency, but he was ripping people off well into 2020. I imagine that they will bring in Jay Edelson again and say, tell me about the conversations you were having with him in 2020. Tell me about those phone calls. Tell me about what was going on. It's a little frustrating that it took so long for these indictments to come down because if there is a competency issue, can that change in the matter of two years? Yes, it can. Did they know all of this in 2020? No. No, they didn't. So we'll see. We'll see what they determine with whether or not Tom Girardi can stand trial for these. They have charged him and they are going with the prove it then. Prove that you can't. And this is one of those rare instances where prosecutors and defense are both trying to prove a thing. And the defendant really does have to prove that they can't versus prosecutors proving that they can. So it's interesting because it shifts the burden to the defendant, which rarely happens in criminal cases, but it does happen if they're going to allege that he cannot be tried due to um, any mental incapacity. And in this case, we know that they're alleging that he has dementia. I think we'll hear about that on Monday in the very first court hearing on these indictments. And with that, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a law nerd. Thank you for staying with me day by day on the Murdoch trial. It's wild. I don't think it's going to be done in three weeks. I'm just saying that now. If you want a roundup of that case, again, another plug for my second podcast, Quick Bits. All the links are down below. And with that, I am going to say goodbye for this episode, and I will see you next week where we will be talking about more indictments because all of the indictments, that's why. So with that, thank you for being here. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your families be well. May they bring all dressed ruffles to the United States so I ha don't have to pay a million dollars to import them from Canada off of Amazon. I have, I have. I have questions about that. They're the most delicious chips. And may the odds be ever in your favor. All right, I will see you in the next one. You can find more Law Nerd goodness in our private Law Nerd community over at lawnerdsunite.com. And if you want to stay up to date with everything I'm covering, you can follow me on social media at the Emily D. Baker. I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I recap those streams for those of you a little pressed for time over on the Quick Bits podcast and Quick Bits YouTube channel. Thanks for being a law nerd.